0: TheYeshiva.net. Okay, we start today. Uh, we start a new maimor. Be'ezir Hashem Yizborich. This is a mimer on kisetsi. We did one uh, kisiana leish, but this is on kisetsi la'molcham <coughs> <coughs> alevecha to You go to page seventy. And is also connected to the month of Elul, which we are about to enter. Today's Area of Yesh Elul. So you see Lamed Hey Ahmed Gimel or page seventy. Lamed Hay column three of page seventy in Kiseitsa. This discourse, uh, this, this Maimer, the Baal Hatanya, the Alter Rebbe said, in the year Tovkuf Samache, which would be in the secular calendar, would be 1805, and it starts with the pasuk, "He seitzil amelchama When you go out for war to war against your enemy, the Torah describes did, the situation on the Sonia Hashem ala kecha biyadacha vishavisa you capture captives, you capture a captive, you see an extraordinarily uh, beautiful woman with a whole series of halachas known as in the time of war, which we'll soon see, we'll get into towards the end of the Maimer, but that's how, that's the context of the beginning of Kiseitzi, it's quite a, a unique rear and interesting halacha where Rashi says, the Torah addresses the unique uh, situation, psychological duress under which soldiers find themselves when they're battling on the front lines, which put them in a whole different category, as we know. So that's the toichen al pipshat of that uh, possek, of that din in the beginning of Kisaitz. Here he right away quotes a Zoyar. He be zohar The Zoyar says, Shast tzloisa, shas Kurove. The time of davening, slice in Aramaic means davening, tefillah is called slice Krav in Aramaic means melchama in Hebrew as well, kerev. Shas, sleus, the time of prayer, is a time of war. It's a time of battle, of conflict. So if you're having a melchama during davening, you're <laughs> in tuned. You're, you're, you're present. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the word. of If a person is in war and they're expecting peace, they're just not in touch with reality. If they're in war and they're expecting war, they're in touch with reality. So there's a certain element of Krava of Al A yid once came to the Chayza of Lublin, the seer of Lublin. Rubyakovitscha Khalevi Horowitz. Not not Horowitz, Harowitz, uh, Horowitz, right? What was the Khiza's last name? name huh? you try to forget everything. Okay. You also forget everything, the good stuff you can remember. So the Ahead came to the Khaizar of Lublin and he says that he has Mahshavizaras during Davanik. He has alien thoughts during Davanik. So the Khaizar says, I'm afraid to say it's not you're having Maqshavizaras during Davanik. The machshavas are not alien. The davening is a zara, by the way. In other words, those machshavas—that's what—that's uh, what you think. The davening is uh, mixing into your machshavas so It's a different perspective. So shas Slay or shas Time of davening is a time of war. Mulchama zui mashakasim mulcham al hashem ba This mulchama, the Torah writes about in Parshas Bshalach, when it says it's a mulchama against a Malik in every generation. See, so he just says it glatahe. This is the mulchama of mulcham al Malik. ba of course, I'll be pipshad the mulchama against Amalek is a mulchama against the nation of Amalek. But uh, in the world of Nistar, this is the mulchama. The mulchama against Amalek is the mulchama by Davenik. Shebechal doer vader, ubechal yoyim vayoyim, tzarech liyaz zu And every single generation, and every single day, a person ought to engage in this war in the soul of the human being. So when it says, mulchama l'ashem ba'amalek mi doer it's not stam. Because Amalek will be in every generation. There won't be an Amalek in every generation. Even if there's no Amalek, this pasik still applies. Mid-der-der. Why? Because there's a different type of Molchama. And this Molchama happens in every and in every single day. Where is this war? In the soul of man. The Chayvah Salavavah brings, brings, the that there was a great king, a warrior who came back from war, very successful. And the great sage of the city comes out to greet him. And says, welcome back from the small war to the big war. The king was quite insulted. He just waged a tremendously great and awesome campaign. Successfully, he defeated, vanquished his enemy. And how does this sage tell him, welcome back from the big war to the, from the big, from the small war to the great war. So he says, the great war will happen in your heart. And in some ways, that's the greatest war, the greatest Muhammad. So every day and every day there is that mulcham and the nefeshad. What is this mulcham? What is this war? Why is there a war? <laughs> the Pasuk says in Kehelas, <laughs> Shlaima Melech says, Kehelas peirik zayit. Hashem made everything in this world. <laughs> every force has a counterforce. Every reality has something that's up, that opposes it to balance it out. Everything is zeh umazah, So therefore, a person, osa, operates. A person has a nefesh de kdusha, a soul of holiness. What does this mean, a soul of holiness? It means there's maiseh, dibur, machshave, midah seichel di He enumerates all facets of human personality and behavior. Actions, words, thoughts, emotions, and cognition. Five things he goes through. There's action, is what you do, there's how you speak, there's how you think, there's how you feel. And then there is how you awareness, what you're aware of, how you look at things, perspective, seich. One is completely of Kedush. It's all from holiness. But against it is nefesh achiyuni, sabahami person also has a biological soul, meaning the soul that gives him chiyus, which is essentially an animal. And that has a whole different range. It has a whole different personality, how it thinks. How it speaks, how it does, how it feels, how it emotes, how it appreciates reality. <inaudible> Hashem tells Rifka when she's experiencing her turbulent pregnancy that you have two twins in you, Shnei to Ummim. Ulla'i literally means one nation, one nationality will become stronger from defeating the other one. In other words, as Rashi brings there from Chazal, that Sur and Yerushalayim in they both don't stand in equal. They don't. They don't. They're not. They're never identical. When one falls, the other rises. When one rises, the other falls. So he touches Le'Oim Le'Oim Yematz as the internal war between Yaakov and Esav, between the Nefesh Lakis and the Nefesh Shachiyunas, the Nefesh Ha-Bahamas. which of course explains, as he explains elsewhere how Rivka had some peace and serenity from that conversation. At first glance, it's a strange story, and Parashas told us. Rivka is in, can't have children, but she has. She becomes pregnant. And it says, <laughs> The fetus, the, 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 she thought it was one fetus. The fetus is turbulent. There's <laughs> a lot of war, there's a lot of agitation. So Rivka says three words, Lama <laughs> Which means, why am I? Very fascinating expression to a turbulent pregnancy. She doesn't say, oh, I'm in so much pain. I need a good doctor. I need some good homeopathic remedies. I need to go on a diet. I need to exercise. Why do I exist? Wow, what a question. Why am I? This is an existential question. It's not a regular question. A person is uncomfortable. So she seeks God. There are two nations in your womb, not one. Two civilizations will depart from your womb. Ula'im is a nationality. One nationality will become stronger from the other nationality, from defeating it. And Rifka apparently is at peace. What did she learn now that she didn't know before? What did she learn now? Before it was crazily difficult, and now it still was full of agitation and distress. So she learned there wasn't one, it was two. But if what was bothering her was the pain of pregnancy, it didn't go away, what did he tell her? He said, okay, there's two nations. How unbelievable. So now in my stomach I have two nations. Before I thought... It was one huge crazy nation, and now I know it's two crazy nations. Okay. <laughs> What's pshat? What's the havana? The MS is: this is a very profound meditation and reflection On a deeper level, I'll be I'll be chasidus, This is the discussion here. Rifka's agitation is the agitation of every person. Every person is pregnant, symbolically speaking but there's a Yisroi this tremendous agitation. As Rashi puts it, she passed by a pagan ashram, or whatever it was called then. When, when we learned it, so the teacher said a church, and I wondered, the Christianity, I thought, happened a little bit after Yitzhak and Rivka, so I didn't know exactly how she passed the church. But whatever it was, I don't know that there were ashrams, but uh, the Far Eastern disciplines uh, <laughs> seemed pretty, pretty ancient, according to the Zohar, some of Avram's children, right? He yeah. sent them to the east. Okay, it's a whole separate issue, right? Buddhism, whatever, Zen, Hinduism—it's associated with Avram's teachings, according to some. Shame tuma f- musr huh? And the martial arts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The martial arts. Uh, really? Okay. So you're saying we have to reclaim it? We have to reclaim the martial arts. Huh? We do. Yeah. We're in Borough <laughs> Park. There's a good yes, for page seventy-two. So you mean by the kiddush after after davening, the kiddush upstairs, the tikkun. Okay, so 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 sh- some pagan Id- uh, center of idolatry, and and, and of course, Esav is is trying to get out, and then she passes by a I don't know if it was Demir or, 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 or Slabotka or whatever it was, but one of the bais medrash, and uh, and and Yaakov wants to get out. Shine. What does this mean? This is an experience in every person. This is the A person at moments can be inspired to God, can be inspired to a davening, to a mitzvah, to learning, to Aves Yisro. A person could be gravitating <coughs> to the Bes Medrash and everything the Bes Medrash represents. But the same person, an hour later, a half an hour later, a day later, is gravitating to the most immoral, promiscuous behavior. So a person looks, an honest person looks in the mirror and says three words. Lama ze'anoychi? Who am I? And why am I? Who am I? Which is the real me? Who Who is the real me? Is the real me the me who's davening with kavon, who's learning with kavon, who's who's inspired Who's an inspired human being, an inspired Jew, an inspired husband, an inspired father, an inspired person, or no, no, no? The real me is the other me, the me who experiences sometimes very base and I would say vulgar, sometimes vulgar instincts, promiscuous inclinations, and this and, and 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 a person has proclivities and, and a disposition and characteristics and tavis addictions or habits especially in our imagination that we don't share with others and everyone yadda inish benafshu what people go through by who am i what is real what is fake and if you're an honest person it's very hard not to come to the conclusion that your inspiration is nothing but a celestial delusion you know what that means a celestial delusion means it's a it's a heavenly dream it's a khalam shaghama agen malagen Vaharaya. an hour later not only is it out the window but it's replaced by instincts that are so different, so opposite, and this may be referring to issues as, in terms of intimacy, relationships, or in terms of anything else, whether it's from anger, or we spoke about narcissism, or, or laziness, or depression, or sluggishness, or selfishness, whatever it may be, fear, all types of fears that people have. So she goes to Hashem Hashem, and Hashem gives Rivka one of the most important messages. In life. The whole tanya is based on this. Shnei goyim bevitnech. You have two souls. The lo- story of human life is not a story of one soul. It's a tale of two souls. Two souls in one city. Not a tale of two cities. It's not London and, and Paris. It's a tale of two souls in one city. That's the problem. In one city, the city is the human body. The human body organism, the Gemara says in the Beis. the human being is a city, because basically every human being is basically a city, and uh, if you can control your life, then you know how to create a government, a government is basically the macrocosm of how you deal with your own life, because basically, what, what, what's, what's, the, what's the problem of government? What are the arguments, the political debates for thousands of years, how to run a country? How do you negotiate between different people who have different agendas? So socialism has one way of dealing with it. Communism has one way of dealing with it. Monarchy is another way of dealing with it. Capitalism, democracy is another way of dealing with it. Right? These are all different ways of negotiating the various points of view and the various interests of of, of a society. Of a society, it's not easy, it's not easy. Churchill once said that uh, capitalism is a horrible system. It's a horrible system, but he says, uh, it's an unfair system, he said. But here's the difference, he says, socialism, uh, capitalism, I'm sorry, is the unequal distribution of wealth. Socialism is the equal distribution of misery. So this this was, this is not simple, how do you navigate a society? It all begins in yourself. The big Sifri Musa say this. You have to first learn, if you can't create a government within yourself, you can't negotiate between your various instincts Then you think you're going to run a country, you think you're going to run a business, you're going to run a family. So what does Hashem (laughs) tell Rivka? The story of life is a tale of two souls. What's considered victory for one is considered loss for the other and what's considered victory for the other is considered loss for this. What does this do to a person? Why is Rivka fine? Do you know why Rivka is fine? Because she realizes, number one, she's not schizophrenic. Number two, she's not dishonest. Just because I have moments where I am overtaken by a very, very beastly urge, it does not delegitimize that there are moments of genuine inspiration. And that's a very that's a key. There's two souls and they're both real. There's the Nefesh shalikis and it's real. What he says Mahakshava, Dibur, Myssa, Sechal midis all of Kedusha divine. Huh? Both are real or one is a dream. Both are real. Now ultimately, 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 as we learned in the Maimur Kisya Nala Ishth, Noshama Achasava Vachasnuwa, there's not a real conflict between them because really in the source the Nefesha Bahamas is even higher than the Is even more holy than the nefesh alikis. But that's already the next stage. That, I mean, it's an important idea. But here we're talking about the way it's manifested. The way it's manifested in a person's life is person can operate on two different levels. We have two operating systems. We operate on two levels of consciousness, and both both are legitimate. This transformed Rifka's paradigm. This created from vayisroitzutzu. The vayisroitzutzu was still there, but basically. It gave her the ability to identify each one and to put it in context and to say that just because I have one experience it doesn't delegitimize the other experience. An additional point is it teaches the person that conflict is inherent. The duality is part of the makeup of the human psyche. There is inherent duality and dichotomy in the human psyche. Don't get upset at yourself. Don't judge yourself for the dichotomy. That dichotomy was not your creation. It was God's creation. You may misinterpret the dichotomy and make mistakes. That's true. But in order not to misinterpret the dichotomy, you first have to understand the dichotomy. Because if you don't, you get depressed. You get angry at yourself. And you delegitimize everything you have and you throw your good out of the window too. And that becomes a great mistake. So two important ramifications. Number one, Dichotomy is inherent, not superimposed. And therefore, don't bash yourself over something that's not yours. The struggle is part of the journey, it's part of the process. Number two, the moments of unique and profound, immoral, promiscuous urges do not cancel out and delegitimize. The moments of genuine inspiration—it's two real aspects of a person. I the second one. The, the second one is shaharigayim, huh? The moments, the experiences that a person has when they find themselves to be very lowly, very base—it doesn't cancel out. It doesn't delegitimize. It doesn't mean that everything else was false. That moments of genuine spirituality and inspiration are just a fake delusion. Vaharaya. an hour later, a day later, look where you are. Or look where you want to be better. Look where you want to be. Yeah. You just said before that, laimul laim, that basically it's a zero-sum game, that one takes from the other. So how does this, how does it necessarily jive with the fact that they're both valuable? It seems that one is up, the other has to be down as opposed to both being up simultaneously? Okay, that's a wonderful question. The answer to that is that in the first stages it's that way. Just like Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov and Esav are not destined to be in conflict forever. There are stages in history when they're in conflict. But we even have in Parshas Vayishlach, Yaakov is expecting war. And when he meets Esav, what happens? He kisses him and embraces him. The point of Oyem is not a decree for eternity. It's based on the erroneous perception of how the souls see themselves. That they are, um, what's the word? Uh, antagonistic or combative or sometimes full of hate. Asa wants to murder Yaakov or kill Yaakov. On a deeper level, they're brothers, they're twins. As I mentioned earlier, there's, some situ- there's an element where we say that Esav is even holier than Yaakov. Esav has a shayrish that's deeper than Yaakov, right? But again, but a person has to appreciate that there are still moments of more primitive consciousness where victory for the godly soul is called defeat for the animal soul. And victory for the animal soul is defeat is defeat for the godly soul. And one has to be aware of that. Every yes also includes a no. In other words, I have to have the courage to be able to say no, to say no to the animal soul if I want my godly soul to be victorious. So that's the malik Every day, a person has to make a conscious choice which soul is going to sit by the steering wheel of your car. Because only one can sit. Which one is going to sit by the steering wheel? Both want to sit at the steering wheel. And both will remain in the car. You're not getting rid of one of them. You can't open the car and throw it out. Right? You can't. (laughs) That would be very nice. Some maybe can. That's a separate discussion. Most can't. They're both in the car. The question is, who's going to be sitting at the steering wheel and who's going to be the backseat driver? That's the clown. There's always a backseat driver. You should have made a left. You should have made a right. You're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. Let me drive. You know that one? Let me take over the drive. Anybody here is married? <laughs> so you know the feeling, right? You don't know how to drive. You can't drive. Let me do let me You don't listen to ways. You're too arrogant. Whatever it is. The question is not if you have a backseat driver. You'll always have one. The Shaila is who sits at the steering wheel. That's the Shaila. <laughs> You want to know which one should sit at the yeah. stadium. <laughs> that's what you want to know. Do you want a ticket? You don't want <laughs> a ticket. <laughs> 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 huh? It's bothered. That's what it you well, i you Well, when you say the nefesh of Bahamas is yeah. true, what I meant yeah. true is as follows. It's true in the sense that what you're feeling is true. In other words, it's part of your life. Yes. In the bigger picture of things, however, Real peace can only come if the animal soul is in the backseat driver and the godly soul is by the steering wheel. And the reason is because the animal soul, it's just like a dog and a human being. I told you once this, Marshall. If I'm going walking my dog on four or somebody else's and the dog goes into a garbage can. There's some always good food in the garbage. And uh, you come, 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 come. Let's go, whatever the name of your dog. Let's go dog doesn't want in the garbage So there's two choices. One is you go into the garbage can because you want to be with your dog. Usually I should say, hopefully that won't happen. If you insist long enough, the dog will follow you. Sometimes begrudgingly, and sometimes actually enthusiastically and willingly. In the scheme of life, you could never get the godly soul to become the animal soul. It's just not going to happen because it's divine. But the animal soul, which is really only a distortion of the divine, could be challenged to either begrudgingly or willingly follow the godly soul. And thus, the solution to the conflict that is inherent in the human soul is only in one direction, not in the other direction. Because if I just follow my animal soul, my godly soul remains horribly starved, uh, uh, agitated, feeling an emptiness and a void, repressed and crushed. The other way, not. The other way, ultimately, the animal soul in its source is also Kedusha. So therefore, Kedusha doesn't destroy it. It actually feeds it, even though at the moment it's screaming that it wants to be in the garbage can, which is fine. That's part of it. Your type is what I'm saying. Okay. Now. This is what the Zoya means that the Sha'as HaTfil is the time of the Mulchama between these two souls, because this is a shasa kosher This man, when the Jewish people daven, whether it's usually in the morning, the Shachar is davening, the Zoyar says it's a shasa kosher It's an appropriate time to wage this battle, because there's a certain energy that allows the person to be Magbir, to allow his godly soul to triumph over the animal soul. Ain be parsha va'yichii al posuk Yehuda ata in the parentheses in a meimer and we explain shabes parsha is kriya shma the kriya shma va'hoyim bchinis ruuvim v'shimen the first two parshiyas shma shma is ruuvim va'hoyim shemaya is shimen emes v'yatziv is Levi. shimen esra is yehuda yehuda ata yehuda ata bittel v'yashloimar the lachen zman kriya vaskaras yitzias mizrayim. This is the mystical counterpart for the Halacha that we just learned in Hilchis Kriyashma, that the time of Krishna ends after three hours. Three hours from either Magan Avram, from dawnbreak or the the Balatanya and the Vilna Vilnagon, from sunrise, depends how you count the mornings, it's different Zmanim as you see, for Savzman Krishna, you always see Maganav Ram, Gura, Rav, Maganav Ram held it starts earlier, so it ends earlier, the other shit this is it starts later, but it's at shayt, so ifshal hasshayas. Shmoina Es, so you have another hour, right? Savzman tfil, you'll always see is an hour, if Savzman Krishna is 9.20, Savzman will be 10.20. What is the reason for this, spiritually? Because the first three Krishma, the three parshas of Krishma. Shma, Vehoyim, Shemaya. and then Emes V'yatziv is Ruven, Shimon, Levi. That ends after three hours. Tfilah is connected Yehuda, so that you have a fourth hour, because the hours also correspond to the Shemotim. So that's Yehuda. So the point here is that there is a certain Gilui of Rebchin of Ruven of Shimon of Levi of Yehuda. Now this he elaborates in parshas Vaichin. What does this mean? Stam Ruven, Shimon. Ruven basically is associated with vision, Reiya. Shimon is associated with Shmiya, with hearing. Levi comes from the word Yilava, which means intimacy. Hapam Yilava Ishiyei, my husband will accompany me, a unique connection. And then Yehuda, who is the Melech Shavashvatim, Yehuda Atah, Yeiduach, comes from the word Hoida, is Tov L'hoides L'Hashem, which means submission. So in Avaydas Hashem, one relates to the first parash of Shema, the second parash of Shema, which deals with Yetzirah Mitzrayim, and that all ends after three hours, because Yetzirah Mitzrayim, they put together with Kriyashma, and then you have Yehuda, which is Shemir But this is the Shashas HaKosher, of Davening, when a person could help their godly soul take over the steering wheel, either in the Bchin of Reuven, or Shemim, or Levi, or Yehuda, or all of them, then you have the other Shvatim, that relates to after Davening. This is what happens after Davening. For example, after Davening, you go to learn, it says, that's the p'chin of Yisachar, Chazal say Yisachar was the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin came from them, then you go to work, business, that's Zvulon, just he goes to the various Shvatim that goes throughout the day. Throughout the day, we go through all the 12 Shvatim. But in the beginning, in the davening, we have the first to four Shvatim. Now he says, the Zoyar tells us, You know all these stories and jokes, they originate in the Zoyar, how you go through a contest, and whoever kills the snake gets the daughter of the king. A lot of anecdotes and stories developed over it. This is old stories, but it, has, it says in the Zoyar already. The king says, Whoever kills the snake, I give you my daughter. The snake always represents the first snake, the primordial snake. Adam and Chava, snake, Amalek. Whoever has the courage to kill the snake, he wins the war. They then give him from above the daughter of the king. What is the meaning of this Zayar? It also fits into this whole concept that there's a war. And when one wins the war, how do they win the war? By killing the snake. So they get milmaila Brata, the 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 daughter of the king. Because the war has two aspects. One is the Nefesh kiss has power. It has its own personality, its own Seichel, its own Midas, its own cognitive faculties, its own emotions, and it has the power of Kedusha to win. On this desire it says, if you kill the snake... You could kill it. Habayz is a second element. It cannot come from the soul on its own. Here is where you have to get a gift from above. God will give you the daughter of the king. There's a part of the war that you can achieve on your own. There's a certain element of the melchama that you cannot do, not because you don't want to, and not because there's no. you don't have any potency. But you, there's, a, there's the limit to what the soul can do on its own. And then there's the second part of the melchama, which is Yahweh Vinlei. la ba The melchama against the amalek operates on two levels. There's the melchama that the human being can wage against the amalek, and then there's the melchama ba that's the second stage in the Zoyar. There's a gift that's given from above because it's not what the soul can do on its own. So its the sentence, is a little bit inverted. Is was because in other words, it was a result of the fact that he needs assistance from above. It's not a gift because that was no, a no, no, need. no, no, no. stage one which allows for stage two. But it's in the state oh, you, you have been, uh, Killing the Chivya is not part of the. Right, the, no, 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 no. That's no. just The yeah, Mandakat Lechivya stage, stage one. And then Yav yeah. and Lebrata which allows something deeper. So it's not only a schar, you did this, I'm going to give you this. No. Once a person goes through this process, now the empowerment goes to the next level with Yav and Lebrata As he will continue to explain what this means. What is the Chivya? What is the Brata Damalka? What are the two stages of the war? And what is the Kiseitsilah Mulchamma Al Ayvech? Kiseitsilah, page 68. I'm sorry, 670. 70. I stand correct? Page 70. Um, the line starts Yavin Le Mela Eila, Hubchinis Mulchamma Lashamba Molech. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Around 12 lines from the bottom of the page. Ubir inyanza, he ne brata demalke. The line starts yov and lemele elah. Ubir inyanza. So if we say that uh, the zoyar, so if the zoyar says man de chov and le man de katele lechivi yov and le brata demalke, one who kills a snake, the zoyar says, the king says, I give you my daughter. So he says there's that which you could do on your own and that which you can only do with the power that you get from above. Generally, life is a battle. Kisei tzei la molchama means that life is a battle. The time of davening is the peak of the battle. But it's that, that's just the peak of the battle, but the battle continues every day. There's a verse from the Teferi Shloyma. Teferi Shlima was written by the Radomsker. Shlima of Radomsk was one of the great earlier Hasidic masters. He says, when you go out, when the neshama goes out to the world, when the neshama leaves its bosom in heaven to go out, so they tell the soul, you should know, you're going to wage a battle. Why is this important to know? Because when you experience a battle, you shouldn't become demoralized. You shouldn't become discouraged. You shouldn't feel that you're doing something wrong, that there's something off about you, there's something uh, dysfunctional. You're worse than anybody else. You're battling, we say, welcome to the club. On the contrary, it's much. you're in a much better state when you're in battle and you know you're in battle when you're in battle and you think it's a peaceful situation because then you cannot be prepared, you cannot wear the gear, you don't have your ammunition ready, etc. Much worse than a country being in battle is a country that is in battle but denies that it is in battle. It's one of the great challenges of our dear, beloved nation. As nahum Sakalov, the Zionist, said, if these brilliant people would have a little seichel, it would be good. When you're in battle and you deny you're in battle, it's a great tragedy. It's a great tragedy on many levels, psychologically, practically, militarily, morally, and so forth. So spiritually also. He says, so you have to know, it's La Mulchama Levecha. You're experiencing a Mulchama. Good, you're alive. Welcome to the club. You're alive. Why is there such a Mulchama? He says, because we operate on two states of consciousness constantly. We operate not on one level of consciousness, but on two levels of consciousness. And the fact that you vacillate from one to the other, that is called human life. One minute you're in this state of consciousness and an hour later you're operating on another level of consciousness. We don't have one operating system, we have two operating systems and they're sometimes diametrically divergent, different, and sometimes diametrically opposed, not just different. And the same human being can literally operate on both levels of consciousness and they're both true. One person, one moment could be a saint and the next hour, the same person could be a villain. The question is how they allow it to play itself out in their life. But this, skits, this spiritual schizophrenia is not a reason for demoralization or despair or hopelessness. On the contrary, it's inherent, it's intrinsic to the chemistry of mankind. It's intrinsic to the composition of a Jew. And this acknowledgement is a very comforting and powerful idea simply to understand what you're made of. The stuff, the material, the fabric, so to speak, that you're made of. So, And davening is the time when you've got to negotiate. Davening is the time when these two operating systems come to clash with each other, and one really must negotiate a, a conversation, at least a conversation between the two sides of themselves. And uh, the Zoyar says that he who kills the snake... They give him the daughter the daughter of the king and he says there's the mulham has two aspects. There's what you can do on your own, and then there's the gift that you have to be given after you do what you own. But the mulchamah is constant. It's mulham, la Hashem mullik, The inner amalik is always there, and it's middir dur every generation and every single day. As we explained what the malach when Hashem tells Rifka, there are twins in your twins in your womb. So now he continues. Ubir in Yinzet explain this. Hine, brata the Malk. When the Zaya speaks about the daughter of the king, you'll be given the daughter of the king. So in the stories we have, you know, the king says, "You kill my snake, I give you my daughter." This was the highest reward. Like Shaul HaMelech. Shaul HaMelech promised his daughter to the one who would defeat the Philistines. The Plishtim, Shaul HaMelech promises his daughter, the daughter of the king. You become the son-in-law of the king. That's how people shot. Tover HaMelech, of course, becomes a son-in-law of the, of the of the king. doesn't work out that well, but that's what happens. So that's how people shout. But then there's something deeper. Brata the Malka hu nekudas tziyayinu knesses Yisrael, she knesses v'yesefes l'secha aras Yisrael de la'el. It's abstract words, but I'll explain them. It's the nekuda we call tziyayinu. V'secha ze neyneinu b'shuvcha l'tziyayinu. Tzien is not only a place, a location. It's that too, Yerushalayim is called Tzien. Yisrael is called Tzien. But Tzien represents not just geography. Tzien represents what he calls here the Nekuda of Knesset Yisrael. What's Knesset Yisrael? We say Knesset Yisrael means the gathering of the Jewish people. Knesset Yisrael is really the metaphysical source of all Neshama Yisrael together. The Niagara Falls of Jewish energy. That nekuda that gathers in it, it assembles into it, the light, the ha'ara, the light, the glimmer, the ray of Yisrael of the sublime Yisrael. If you can go to the source of all Neshamas Yisrael, the mother, the spiritual source of all Neshamas Yisrael, that energy, that all neshamas come from. That's why I say the Niagara Falls, the source of electricity of neshamas, that's called Knesset Yisrael. The place where all neshamas converge into one identity, into one spiritual identity. And then every Jew has his or her own neshamah. That's called Nekudas tzir, in Knesset Yisrael. It gathers in it the whole light of Yisrael Dela de of the higher Jew, the higher Jew. There's Yisrael Dela Sata, Yisrael Dela Sata is the Jew below. But the Jew below comes from the Jew above. And the Jew below is always connected to the Jew above. The Jew below is the Jew who just gets up and looks in the mirror and uh, brushes his teeth in the morning and is just trying to make some money. That's the Jew below. Uh, Labor Day maybe he's going to go play golf uh, if, 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 this, if the weather allows it, uh, or uh, or at least a barbecue, whatever it is, because uh, golf is too much exercise. But that's you saw the lasata. Yisrael De La'Ela, Yisrael De La'Ela is that somehow Jews almost inadvertently are involved in things that they don't want to be involved in. Uh, somebody once said Jews don't know how to play Little League. They're always playing Big League. <laughs> Other nations know how to play Little League. They just know, do your thing, we don't have to hear from you. Finland, Scotland, right? Who hears from them? There's 300 million people that live in... Uh, in uh, Indonesia, you know that 300 million people live there? Of course you don't know. How would you know that 300 million people live in Indonesia? When do you read about Indonesia? When there's a tsunami, you read about Indonesia. In Israel, you have 7 million Jews. 7 million, a front page, every day, front page of almost every newspaper, every website. Jews don't know how to play Little League. They try, but they don't know how. Somehow, inadvertently, they get involved their identity is just very dramatic. It's it's so spiritually we understand that's what he's saying. Jews are at the vertex, the vortex between heaven and earth. They're in the eye of the storm, in the whirlwind. You know, in that whirlwind of the storm, that's Yisrodel Eli. means the the higher energy of all of the Jewish people gathered together. Tzir. It's very hard to understand the Jewish story if you don't understand Yisrodel because Israel the Sata doesn't make sense, that's what Jews say, we're just regular people, we just want to eat sushi and drink some wine, and, and, and we're not interested in anything else. We're just people like any other people. That's one of the great claims of so many Jewish leaders in our generation, treat us like regular people. The only state, the only country in the world that claims that it's normal and it's just like any other country is Israel. Always maintaining we're just like any other country. Our people is just like any other people. But somehow nobody buys it. Why they don't buy it? There's a reason they don't buy it. They don't buy it. We try to buy it, but they don't buy it. They never bought it, and they never will buy it. Nobody looks at Israel as a regular country. Nobody looks at the Jewish people as a regular nation. The Jews are the only one who view themselves as normal. And even we know how complicated it is for us to view ourselves as normal. Here you have this romantic, poetic expression about what a Jewish soul is. Tziyon is called Nekudas Halev, the core of the Jewish heart. U its deepest its deepest inside, which comes out Biklolis The Pnimi, Nekudas Halev, doesn't come out in one Jew or another Jew necessarily. But it comes out in the story of the Jewish people. It comes out the claulus Nushama Sisra. it's called Ruussa Dhaliba. Ruussa means Ratsan. Liba means lev. In Aramaic, Ruussa is will, desire, yearning, lechtzing, lechtsang in Yiddish. Pining. a asp- as- deep aspiration. It's called Ruusadaliba. The Pchinus Ruussa Dhaliba the Ratsin Halev. Kumai Shakasov Bhala Vovchash Bez Lavavas. Bechale means, the Gemara says, there's two vases. It says in your Yerushalmi Brachas. Why two? Because there's two hearts. So al Pshat, we all know the and Brachas. Bechale the Gemara and Brachas, non-dalat b'shnei Yitzharecha. Here he takes it one step deeper. In the Jewish heart is the external heart, and the core of the heart. Chitsoin Yisalev and Pnei Yisalev. Tzioin, Brat de Malka, this is ruusa deliba. it's the Nekudas Halev, it's the pnimius Halev of the Jew, which comes out in Klolos Neshames Yisrael, which has something called ruusa deliba, or Ratzin Halev, this is the pnimius Halev that every Jew has, but it comes out in the story of Neshames Yisrael. In Knessus Yisrael, in the source of the Jewish people, this emerges and it, it's fanned in its full splendor, in its full power. In every Jew, it comes out in one way or another, sometimes revealed, sometimes concealed, sometimes extremely concealed, sometimes absolutely eclipsed, but always present, always there. The khalavka there's two lavavas, khitsaini is sale and phini isaleev. Khitsaini is haleiv, he Min in adas. Khitsaini is the external heart is the heart that is below perception, below das, meaning it follows das, it follows wisdom, knowledge, perception. She comes from it. It's the emotions that come from awareness. We feel real, we feel about things based on how we think about things. This is a very important doctrine that the way we feel about the way we think about things is ultimately the way we feel about them. There's no feeling that doesn't is not preceded by a certain awareness. Now, this is important because uh, often people think that emotions are just an independent domain, uncontrollable, lack of control. In fact, uh, many branches of psychology advocated that idea. Your emotions are just completely self-contained. They have their own GPS, their own navigating system. Today, more in positive behavioral psychology, there's more studies that a person has a lot of control over their emotions. And Balatanya was a very big a fan of, a very big advocate of that idea, that Lev comes from Das. As he says, How you think about things is how you will feel about things. You may not be able to change the facts, but how you think about the facts is how you're going to emote about the facts. So when you're feeling something towards somebody... We often just take it for granted. We don't challenge it. If I feel love, if I feel suspicion, if I feel threat, if I feel hate, if I feel anger, it's what I'm feeling. But the truth is, you're never feeling this because of the other person. You're feeling this because of the way you're thinking about the other person. It's because how you're processing the other person. It takes a lot of discipline and courage to be able to go back, to step back and re-examine the emotion from the place of, What is this person making you think or making you... How are you perceiving what they're saying? You're putting it in context. You're framing what they're saying. There's no emotion that lives in a vacuum. Every emotion comes from Das. There's a certain perception. That's why two people can hear exactly the same thing. One person doesn't even hear it. And the other person for three weeks is miserable. Is plotting their assassination consciously or unconsciously. They both heard the same thing. One person is like, okay, gamata, right? Amen, yeah. Gamatam. Uh, Lubavitch is a joke. It's not such a joke. The Lubavitch Rabbi used to give, he had a beautiful lulav and So people wanted a bench on his lulav. So the first day of Sukkot, he would give it all the days whoever wanted a bench after he benched early in the morning. So he gave it to somebody. It was the first day. So he tells the person, "Matonal al-menas because the first day you can't be yotze with somebody else's lulav. You can't be yotze. if they a lulav You have to have your own lulav. So he gave you a gift, but he said it's a manas l'hagzir. The person says, Amen gamatan. understand? He didn't understand. He thought the Rebbe was giving him a bracha. So uh, so he says, Amen. Why am I saying this? I forgot. So, so two com- different com- com- people can hear yeah, the same thing. Perceive perceive something. Someone, something, you know, two people hear the same statement. I, think. Think. I guess I had my own. Uh, Okay, but I'll call upon So das every emotion is preceded by a das by perception, and the way I perceive about the way I perceive something is how I'm going to feel about it. Or to put it dis- differently, it's about framing it. You can have a picture, a beautiful picture. If you don't have the right frame, if you don't have the right frame, you'll ask the designer of your house. They could charge you an extra twenty thousand dollars. For getting you the right frames. What does the frame do? The frame puts the picture in a certain context. When it's in a certain context, it leaves a different impression. Every every life is full of stories, full of pictures. But the question is how you frame those pictures, how you frame those stories, how you think about it, how you process it. This person said this to you. What are you hearing? What did you process? This is not based on them or what they said. This is based on how you are experiencing, how you're thinking about it. This is fascinating because today this is the future of psychology, that people do have control. Zeligman and Frankel, right. and all the positive psychologists. Cognitive behavioral th- huh? cognitive behavior cognitive therapy. Behavioral therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Look the this says maybe 900 times, maybe more. All emotions come from Das. Mimena Lukha. People thought it's not true. Emotions, emotions of the kings. Ask Freud; <laughs> You could do something about your emotions. Move in crazy monkeys, uninhibited, like as he said, crazed monkeys, uninhibited monkeys decide they want to do everything, whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do, however they want to do it. With the world, that's it. It's infinite. And the contrary, as long as you don't acknowledge it, you're an erotic. You become an erotic. You're in denial of your reality. Because emotions are very powerful, but still there's always a das that precedes them. Always a das. And this is true even when it comes to your emotions towards your wife and your children. People think their emotions are sparked and and overwhelming with these kids and the spouse. Whether it's husband or wife, it's always with das. There's a certain perception. There's how you're tightching up. There's a lumdus before emotion. There's always lumdus before emotion. May be instinctive, may be very deep. You may have never thought about what you're thinking, but you're always thinking about something. That's chitzaynis Saleh. It's called chitzaynis. Chitzaynis. It doesn't mean it's so external. It could be pretty deep, pretty intense, relative. The penimis Saleh, It's called chitzaynis Saleh. So with physical, emotions, also. of course, of course. Yeah. That's the new the new studies. Yeah, the divided mind and everything. Of course. Psychosomatic, you mean? You mean psychosomatic hot, stuff? No, I understand. Even there, I'm not even sure, you know, but uh, even there it's probably... I mean, people do walk on call hot call. coals. You can ask, you ask call Anthony call. Robbins. Chitsayni Yisalevi lemata minada Hashem imena lukchum. Vihiz gabrus ha-nefesh b'koyach ha-sagoso it's the soul that prevails through the power of hasaga comprehension, haskala awareness, is It meditates. It becomes mindful. Now here, he's addressing chitzonius live specifically, one's relationship to Hashem. There's the Jew. There's the tziyon. There's the yisrael of bechala vavcha who experiences bechala vavcha, the chitzonius or the pnenius. So the chitzonius is maskelus is The soul meditates. Mizbeinem is from the word Tvuna, Bina, Hizbeinenus, Mindfulness, meditation. le lecha'eis of molmata, le mazl Maila, Chazal say in Medrash, no grass, no blade of grass below grows without a mazl that strikes it and says, grow, 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 grow. Chazal are trying to say, don't take a blade of grass for granted. The blade of grass is growing because there's a mazl, there's a spiritual force that tells it to grow. The flowers, as we all know if you study plants, they are geniuses beyond. We marvel on people who know Shas, Poskin, Bavli, or Shalmi, Rashi, Taisus, Balta. What a flower knows to do. Nobody knows how they know all this. How do they know so much about science and chemistry and physics and botany and cosmology and sunlight and climate? They know everything. They know everything. These blades of grass are brilliant. You see a blade of grass, you should do koyrim or Mishtachavim. You should stand up for the covet of what they know, of what this knowledge that they know. Never mind. You see an ant. You see an ant. You should put an ant on a pedestal. What an ant knows in its brain, we takes us a thousand years. We still haven't figured it out. Figured it out. Brilliant. So Chazal say that every single blade of grass has within it a spiritual force that speaks to it. Makaboy which was a way of explaining that there is a tremendous spirituality and a koya chalaki in every single blade of grass. Ve'gavoyah me'al it goes higher and higher. Ve'goimer adirayim hamaylas umakher v'reshis kolai shdalshlos v'shavas achayas, the source and the beginning of the entire cosmic evolution and the creation of the energy is a beruach piv koltsvam va'ata mechayas kolok. We say in Tehillim, we say Chabas morning, Bidvar Hashem Shamayim Nasu, Uver Ruach Piv Colts Vom. Through the word of Hashem heavens were made, and through the spirit of his mouth all of its legions. So we say every morning in Davaning by Varakh David Ba'ato Mekay Eskulam. Uksiv the pasuk says Reina Sati Lufanachayoi Mesachayim Vesamovis. Moshe Rabbeinu at the end of his life tells the Jewish people. See, I have placed before you today life and death. You should choose life. And the obvious question is, does one really need Moshe Rabbeinu to tell this to a person? He tells the Jewish people, there's death and life. I want you to choose life. A normal person chooses life. A normal animal chooses life. Even (coughs) trees, even plants, instinctive in their DNA is the desire to survive, to live, and then to propagate. Moshe Rabbeinu's summation of life is there's life and death, I want you to choose life. Listen what he says. What he's saying is in every created thing there is the life of it and there is the death of it. He's not just referring to there's death and life, you could kill yourself, Halila, or you could live, choose to live. He's saying something even deeper. In every existence, there is the death aspect of it and the life aspect of it. Hamavas In every single thing in the world, you could gaze, you can embrace, you can become intoxicated by the part of it that dies, or you could focus on the part of it that ultimately lives. What's the part of it that represents its death? it's externality. It's brute material facade that takes over. It makes believe that is the reality, but that is really not what gives it existence. Now understand, he's not here knocking Stam Gashmias. He's knocking when you don't realize that Gashmias is ruchnis. when you don't realize the energy that's in it. So what you're taking for granted is just the external facade, which really, without the Ruchnias, that wouldn't be alive. So when you look at the world, what he's saying is you should be able to s- focus on the life of the world, not on the death of the world. Just like you take a piece of food, for example. So any nutritionist will tell you the first you side the nutrition, which so many of us struggle with, is don't take the cheesecake at face value. It looks like your friend, it's your enemy, it's your malacham it's the satan bechvay derbiatma, it's <coughs> the devil it's Khmer, it's, it's, it's an anti-Semite. It wants to obliterate the Jewish people. I. it looks good. That's all anti-Semites look good. You think all of them are nasty? Some of them are very civil and smiling. If Mary Shapiro's Vart, the Gemara says, uh, You know what the Gemara says, right? They came to Moshe's grave in Harnavoy. They decided they're going to f- figure out where he's buried. So he says, though they went to the top of the mountain, it looked like the grave was on bottom. They went to the bottom of the mountain, it looked like the grave was on top. So he touched that there were two ways in which they decided they're going to bury Moshe Rabbeinu once and for all. One is by elevating the Jewish people. In other words, by giving them all the freedoms and emancipations in the world. That's one way. And the other way was by crushing them, by degrading them. So there's two different ways. So this this piece of food you're looking at, it looks very inviting. But we ask of you before, before you become sold on it, why don't you dissect it? Take this beautiful piece of cheesecake to your nutritionist. Take it to a scientist and let him dissect it. Right? Take the cigarette to your dog. Let him dissect it. Let him show you what happens from this. First of all, what it's made of. Besides the fact that Don't just treat it the way it looks on the plate. What happens to it after seven seconds? Imagine if you would go to a restaurant and they would serve you the food after it came into people's mouths. How much people would pay for those meals? So the food industry, which as you know is billions and billions and billions of dollars, is all based on seven seconds. From the moment the waiter brings the plate and puts it down, until it's in your esophagus. How long does that take with most Jews? Between seven and nine seconds. It doesn't take longer. So for those nine seconds, we are ready to pay who knows how much, because it looks good, and for those seven seconds, it's going to taste good. Right? So what is it? I'm worshipping the death of the food. What says the death of the food? Not its real value. Its real value is that which goes into the bloodstream that which becomes part of my chiyos, my neshama, my personality. But I'm saying in Pashtun Gashmius, in everything, you could look at that which is displayed artificially, externally. Or you could look at its pnimius, at its core, that which remains. The whole world is that way. So Mosh Hashim says, He doesn't mean life versus death in their dramatic expressions. That too. But he's saying something much deeper. In every nivra, there's that which makes it live, there's the chayim of it, there's the toichim of it, the toich from the word toich, is the pnemias, and then there's the chitzayim. Every moment in life, you have to choose between the death of the reality, between that aspect of reality, which ultimately is its dying part, and the part of reality which ultimately is its... Its living part, and that's even true in the blade of grass. There's the of the physical asv, but what is ultimately allowing it to be, allowing it to exist? It's the dvar Hashem, the mazel hamakav oymel We know today, even and the, these words are not so strange today, even in the world of science and physics, because we know that every single nivra, everything that's created, is comprised of millions and billions and trillions and zillions and ultimately sectillions of atoms. And each atom, each atom on its own is comprised of so many different subatomic particles that make up one atom. And then the atom has to combine with not hundreds of atoms, millions, billions, sextillion atoms in order to ultimately constitute and make up one object, one object one 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 leaf one ant one drop of water whatever it is one finger etc we don't even can't even imagine how many atoms how many atoms in one finger but the atom itself the atom itself so you have the core of the atom right what is the core of the atom called nucleus. huh the nucleus of the atom And as much as we understand, but what we do know is you have the electron that goes around the atom and the space between the electron and the nucleus of the atom is huge to the point that the expression is, the way that we understand it is, that more than 99% of an atom is empty space. More than 99% of an atom is empty space. That means when you're looking at something, Because it's so small, our eyes don't acknowledge the empty space. We just make everything cohesive. We put it into one mass. Too small for us. But if one would really be able to perceive reality, they would be able to perceive that not just most of it, almost all of it, besides a tiny fraction, is empty space. That means that if you would take the whole matter, the mamoshes of this planet, the part of this planet that is actually substantial, it's not empty space, it would fit into a suitcase. It would fit into a suitcase. So you're looking at this world, what are you really looking at? You're looking at empty space. What is the empty space? That's where the Dvar Hashem is. That's where the divine energy that says, that tells it to grow. So yes, our eyes turn it into a very big powerful world. But if we would have that ability to perceive, we would realize that if you could take the entire planet, everything that has real substance, not empty space, it would fit into a suitcase. So what's the whole world? The whole world could go into a suitcase that you put into the JF that you're carrying in JFK airport. Now, what does this mean, of course? Hashem didn't want us to see the world that way. He wanted us to see a big world. But that's what Moshe is saying. In every Nivra, you could see the part of it that's Mavis, and you could see the part of it that's chayim. So he says the Mavis is Gashmi Adov Avichumri Yusai, because that's not its substance. What is its real substance? Its real substance is energy, spiritual energy. And the chayim is the Ruchniyas. Shaidei bacharta bachayim, as he continues, Hashem ki you should love God because He's your life. What does it mean, He's your life? <speaking in> because <Hebrew> He is the life of life. <speaking in Hebrew> and the source and the root of all. <speaking> in <Hebrew> Anything in contrast to Him is <speaking> in, <Hebrew> in other words, what does it mean, Mavis? It means you're choosing... That which is not real in the Nivra. You're choosing that which is fake in the Nivra, that which is external in the Nivra. If you want to <coughs> suck the marrow... What Moshe is saying is a I want you to suck the marrow out of life. How can you suck the marrow out of life? For this, you have to look at the life in everything. What's the life in everything? The life in everything is that which is its core of existence, its root. So, la'aves Hashem alakecha kihu chayecha. What does it mean to love Hashem? You're not loving something abstract. Kihu You want to love your life. You want to love your life. But what is your life? What is the chayim of everything? The chayim in every nivra is the elokus of the nivra. To relate to the godliness of it is to relate to its primias, to its depth. And therefore to its eternity. So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu says, a person constantly has to make a choice. And the choice they have to make is between the death of the Nivra, the mothers of the Nivra, and the chayim of the Nivra. And this is true in every single Nakuda of life. What is the person going to embrace? Which Nakuda? So Moshe Rabbeinu says at the end of Parshas Mitzavim, that we read in a few weeks. See, I placed before you today life and goodness, death and bad, evil. And he finishes a few psalms later. You should choose life. And the next pasuk he says, La to love your God, lishmaya to listen to His voice, and to cleave to Him, because He is your life, and the length of your days, etc." That is how Parshas Netzavim, with its forty pasukim, concludes. The Balatanya here intimated the question that's raised in the farshim, and he raises it elsewhere. Namely, Moshe Rabbeinu seems to be implying a chiddish, a revolutionary idea or at least a novel idea. There are two paths, the path of life, the path of death. You should choose life. You should choose life. But L'cha'oyda, ostensibly at first glance, that seems very strange because who, which normal functional person Knows that this is the path that leads to death and this is the path that leads to life, has to be told to choose life. So, some of Farsham explained he's talking about a different form of life and death, not physical life and death that you don't even, even an animal, even a healthy animal, doesn't jump into a fire, doesn't do anything that will jeopardize its existence. The instinct to live is the deepest instinct. That a living organism has, whether it's a human being or not, even even plants, bushes, trees, they do whatever they can to ensure their survival. Sometimes they can't, but they do whatever they can. This is embedded in the gene of every nivra, every creation. The instinct, the the You want to live. So is saying a you should choose life. So, there are various perspectives, but the perspective that the Balatanya conveys here in this Mime of Kisei Tze is quite profound. And that is, Moshe is referring to something deeper. That in every Nivra, in every existing reality, every reality that exists in the world, in yourself or outside of yourself, in the world of Doimem or Tsemeach or Chayim, everything, there's the chayim element of it, and there's the mavis element of it. There's that element of it which is alive, and that element of it which, on its own, is essentially lifeless. What is it? The the life of everything is its spiritual core, its divine essence. That is its chiyus. That is its neshama. That is that is its energy. That is what it really that that is the chayim of it. What is the mavis of it? The mavis of it is I just look at it superficially and I take it at face value and I treat it simply as a material, physical, brute reality devoid of the divinity, the godliness that infuses it with all of its depth, with all of its meaning, with all of its energy. I am embracing the muvis of it, not the chayim of it. Because the true substance the true essence of every single nivri in the world is the elakus of it. Bedvar Hashem Shamayim Nasu, uveruach piv kol tzvam. Eilu ha'esav malmata, she'elui mazal malmaila v'oymerloi ha'makeboi v'oymerloi g'dal, as he quoted. VaAta mecha yes, we say every morning, at the end of Ha'ivoruch David. Atu Hashem lovadecha, atu sissas ha'shamayim, sh'me ha'shamayim. And we conclude the kulam. In other words, the true Metzius, the true reality of Kulam, Kulam is everything, everything. Everything, internal and external, is, is the fact that you, you give it life, the life force, the chemistry of it, the real reality of it is the divinity of it. And then when somebody now looks at something or deals with something, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hey, you could look at the Chayim and you could look at the Mavis. So I caution you, u You should always notice the Chayim component of it. You should always be able to look at the Pneumius of it. When you're looking at yourself, when you're looking at anything you're dealing with, you should always be able to see the Pnimius of it, the Chiruchmius of it, the internal core of it, the godliness of it. And B'Mela, he continues, that's pshat, that's why he says right after, Laavas Hashem ala Ki kihu Chayecha. What's the meaning of Avas Hashem? That He is your Chaim. Loving God is another way of saying loving life. It's a very important idea. Loving God is another way of saying loving life. People say, how can I love God? I don't know what that is, but love... I have a problem loving people I see. Now you want me to love invisible realities? <laughs> In some ways, it's easier because what, what, it, what does even love mean? What does love even mean? Love God. What does it even mean? Here he's giving one perspective. You already love God. You love life. The life of life is God. God is life. It's the core of life. You love reality. You love life. What is it that you love about life? What is real about life, that is what God means. God means the truth of life, the reality of life, the reality of reality that is God. You want to love the, the, the facade of reality? You want to love reality? You love life. ki hu because that's the nekudas ha'chaim of everything. As he puts it, he says, it's the life of life in his words. <laughs> it's the life of life. In other words, it's the reality of reality. We all want reality. We all live in reality. The question is what is reality? What is reality? What is real? So he says what's real is don't get deluded by the external facade where everything just looks physical, mechanical, and brute. The truth is, there's the there's the Kula. Tveikus with Hashem means Tveikus with reality with the reality of reality, with that which is real in reality, in every reality and that, that 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 has to do with anything you're dealing with, a relationship with any existence, beginning with your own body, with your own existence, with your own self whereas we discussed practically a piece of food, so when it comes to food, everybody talks about this, right don't get Nispoel from the Chitzaimiyas as we explained, don't fall prey to it because look at the reality. Don't look at the sugar-coated packaging. You buy a product that's sugar-coated, it's it's, it's, it's it, the whole psychology of advertisement is, right? You want to make it appealing to a person. The whole industry of advertisement, of Madison Avenue cynicism is basically to impress upon you the idea that if you don't get this new product, you are a miserable person. You are destined for a life of agony, distress the void that you always thought you had since 10 years old will be quadrupled you will actually need therapy because you're not buying this product that will teach you what it means to live a life of luxury and will introduce you to the life of all the Feinschmeckers in the world and they play with our psychology brilliantly you look at the picture and like wow and even if I don't get it but the first moment I could get it, I'll get it because it plants a seed. What is reality? The problem is you buy the product. It's very tight to as they say. It's, it's worthless. It's meaningless. It contributes to your joy like turtles in New Zealand contribute to your joy. Actually, watching turtles in New Zealand would probably contribute to your joy far more than this. Besides the fact it may be a shmata. In other words, the point is, in life you always have to be able to distinguish between looks, appearances, and substance, between the outer and the inner, between the external and the internal, between the chayim and the movas. On the contrary, when the external is infused with the internal, then the external is seen in a new way. It has real value, it has real significance when the gashmi is seen as an expression of the ruchni. So it's not a denigration of the gashmi; it's elevating it to allow to see what its real life is. Every moment you have to make a b'chira b'chayim in the pnimius, the pnimius of everything. And he continues. Four lines from the top: one, two, three, four. Page seventy, kisets. We say in Psukim deZimra, the last Psukim of the last Kapitel uh, of Tehillim, Hallelujah, Shiru LaShem Shir Chador Shilaseh BeKal Chasidim. So we say Roimemoyis El Bigrainam Vecherev, Pifias BiYadam Lasos Nekamav Agoyim Toichechois Balu Umim Lesser Bezikim. You remember Bechav B'Chavlevizer? These Psukim ring a bell, ah? Huh? Some of you said it already this morning. <laughs> so, Pasha, of the English translation—it's good sometimes to know the Pasha, of the English translation. What are we saying? The exaltedness of God is in their throats. The a double-edged sword, a sword with two mouths, two edges—be in their hand to take revenge, lasus nakama, against the nations who oppress them. Rebuke against the nationalities to uh, arrest, lesser, to uh, uh, incarcerate. incarcerate. <laughs> malcheim their kings, bezikim and chains, and their respected monarchs, their glorious men, bechavley barzel with uh, shackles of iron. Lasses <laughs> behem mishpat kosov. You didn't think you say this every morning, right? In Hebrew it sounds different, right? So what is this? What is this? On one level, Api Pshat is talking about the suffering. David Amelech is describing the, the anti, there was no word anti-Semitism then. <laughs> the word anti-Semitism is a phrase that was coined, uh, I think, in the 1870s by a German, uh, a German journalist, <coughs> William Marr. But, uh, but David Amelech Lahavdil wasn't talking about anti-Semitism, but he's talking about the fact that many kings or empires or nations wanted to destroy the Jewish people, so the exaltedness of God is in their mouth, like when he fought Goliath and other situations, the Plishtim and other enemies, Moiav, the etc. As usual in the teachings of the Balshemtiv, all these psukim are brought in and applied psychologically and emotionally internally. So he says, now we'll understand the Goyim. When we talk about Goyim, who are these Goyim we're talking about? La'ases va'goyim. He says, I hate to break it to you. You're talking about yourself. You're not talking about anybody else. <laughs> we're talking about words or deeds or thoughts in which a person is not aligned with God means you're not aligned with Hashem meaning you're not aligned with yourself because again what is his definition here of Hashem it's the core of your reality so what about if a person is doing things but when he's doing them his behavior is not aligned with himself with his own truth an example a person has a moment he loses himself he says things that he would never say in a moment of sobriety. Loses himself. He had a hard day. Come on with a migraine headache. Labor Day weekend did not do you well. You say things. You get involved in thoughts. They don't reflect your better self or actions. loyla Hashem Hema. In other words, it's things in which you're not in. In, in, in the terms of Yiddish guy, that it means it's not aligned with Hashem. It's not aligned with the core of reality, with the va'ata mechayez kulam In other words, you fall prey to the death rather than to the life, to the aspect that dies rather than to the aspect that lives. Because in every single thing, as we said, you have the two things. You have the part of it that's going to die. By definition, it's not eternal, it's not real. It looks real, but it's not real. And you have the part of it that ultimately is going to live, it's going to live. And you choose the other one, or not even choose, but you fall prey, That's what we mean when we say Goyim. What does revenge against the Goyim mean? Revenge doesn't mean you take a cleaver, and you go and you knock him over his head. A Kufitz doesn't mean that. means, we're not here talking about revenge as revenge. Necomah means to obliterate, to break the pattern. How do you break the pattern? What you need is a double-edged sword that comes from the exaltedness of Hashem. What does this mean? Listen to his pshat. When a person meditates, that Hashem is the source and the root of Ishtal Eshtalshlus means the cosmic order, and is the life of life. And that means every blade of grass, every flake of snow, every droplet of rain, every nekude, every nook and cranny, every detail, every nuance, every cell, every atom, every particle in existence. He is the chaye Hachayim. as kale When you appreciate what kale is, then lasus nakama vagoyim Then. You break the patterns within yourself where your words and your deeds and your actions and your thoughts become aligned with reality. That's what we're saying. Then you have the cherub that you need in life. This is what Yaakov Avinu tells Yosef in Parashah's Vayichi. He speaks about the city of Shechem. Remember the Pasek and Vayichri? I took it with my sword and my bow. The Targum Unkolo says, the Targum Unkolo is, B'tzalusi u Charbi and Kashti is my prayers and my requests. What's the connection? The targ- Yaakov says, I took Shechem with my sword and my bow. So the Targum says, he means B'tzalusi u Ba'usi, with my davening. Why is Charbi and Kashti davening? Why is davening a bow and arrow? Shooting an arrow, using a sword, a dagger, what is this? Shabon Niskarim because through Tvila, what is Tfila? Tvila is basically focusing on the fact that Hashem is the essence of all reality. Nasim is a creates the sword and the bow and arrow. In order to break the patterns of ra, of fragmentation, of disalignment from God in your own soul. So we see this already in Chumash. Becharbiyov Akashthi means davening. Davening is called a That's why the Zoyar says, Shas Tzloisa, Shas Krav. The time of davening is a time of cherub. We see this already from Yaakov Avinu in Parshus The difference between the sword and the keshes. And by the way, it's two different types of weapons. What's the difference between the cherub and the keshes? Close, and distance. Huh? Close, up, and distance. Close up and distance. One is a visible enemy. He's right in front of me. You use a sword. The chidish of the bow and the arrow is, it was the first weapon that was devised early on in human history, the history of the Homo sapien, to be able to target the invisible enemy or the distant enemy. So the Balatanya says that there's two enemies within. He says this in Parshas Vayechi. There's the conscious one and there's the unconscious one. There's that which you see and that which you don't see. And as we know, that which you don't see is sometimes far more lethal and dangerous because you don't see it. It's far away. Far away meaning could be right in you, but far away in terms of consciousness. So there's kharbi and there's Kashti. It's two separate avodas. The briske of where did you hear that? I think it's a gemara, no? No, 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 it's not a gemara. But they say in the name of Reb uh, Chaim or his son. Either Reb Chaim or Reb Vavula Another vart, the very gishmak avart. And that is, the difference between a sword and a bow and arrow is, a sword, you don't have to be that skilled. I mean, if you're doing professional sword fighting, Duffman Kennan, but even an amateur person, you give them a knife, you give them a sword, right? You know, in Israel the le- le- recent wave terror, you take a, go to the kitchen they take chicken kni- kitchen knives in 2015 and 16, killing people. And imagine what the world has come to. We thought we're developing nuclear energy, atom bombs and our neighbors showed us kitchen knives, we could do it with kitchen knives, we don't need anything else. Cleavers, kitchen knives. That's charbi. Kashti, you have to be able to aim. You have to know what you're doing. Kashti, you have to be skilled. So in davening, from the brisket of this, in davening there's two components. There's the davening of the nusach, of the Anshei Knessus Hagdailah. That's a sword. And then there's davening in your own words. That's a kashas. When you're davening in the words of Anshei Knessus Hagdailah, so you're using... Sacred, powerful words. You're using a sword, it's going to have an impact. With a kesha a bow and arrow already, it depends on individual skill, depends on individual connection, depends on individual mindfulness where you are. Because you're creating, so to speak, your own tefillah. You know, when you're, when you're singing somebody else's song, if they're a great singer, you know the song is going to be good. When you're creating your own song, maybe gewaldic, maybe brilliant, but it also may be uh, amateur. You're reading somebody else's poem, the greatest poem, you know it's a good poem. If you're creating your own poem, it's not yours. It's a bow and arrow, but it's yours. Okay, I'll call upon them. So we see here the connection. the is So that's basically at the end of Psukah de we say this word. What is Psukah de when you think about it? All of Psukah more or less, is a meditation on this concept. Psukah de-Zimra, we discuss nature. The Chazal chose Psukim of Tehillim primarily that discuss nature, natural phenomena. Right, we'll go through it. we're talking about the snow. we're talking about ice. yashiv we're talking about rain. The next halaluka, you have shemesh, Yoreach, koych Taninim, crocodiles, age, Bara, chelet, kitter, vapor, fire, snow, ruachsare, sidvare, mountains, mounds, fruits, trees of fruits, cedars, chayas, behemoths, domesticated animals, undomesticated animals, birds. What are all these? What are we talking about? What's the point here? Halaluka again, hallelujah again, hallelujah again. How many times does God want to be praised? At some point, even a person who needs terrible validation, too many compliments will drive him crazy too. Imagine you come, you know your boss loves compliments, right? So you go and you tell him, by the way, yesterday when you spoke at the board meeting, you were brilliant. In fact, I never heard such a brilliant speech. Of course, you don't mean it. But you're hoping for a raise in six years. So you tell him how brilliant he is. (laughs) And then you come back five minutes later, and, and by the way, you're also good looking. And by the way, you're also slim. I see you lost 60 pounds. The guy gained 60 pounds. But what does a Jew not do for Parnassa? And then you compliment him again and again, 20, 30, 60. At some point, he says, Okay, get out of my office. Gnuchshan. He probably won't fire you for an extra compliment that people don't do. But when you look at Pesukah Dezim, it doesn't stop, yeah? Halaluka again, halaluka again, halaloo, halaloo, halaloo. Praise, praise, praise. For what? For when? What is this? This is even somebody who needs the validation, who's insecure, generally secure people. I mean, everybody likes compliments. I don't know anybody who doesn't like compliments. Very. Uh, I don't know if uh, I maybe met one person in my life who doesn't like compliments. Everybody says they don't need it, but, no, but it was. Not, I never heard of a dintayr in the world. Somebody took somebody for dintayr because they complimented them too much. No need, A It doesn't hurt anybody. I don't know, I think I maybe met one person who couldn't care for compliments, maybe two people, really couldn't care. It's a unique skill. It's a unique thing. So here dealing with the Reboi and every Jew, P'suket HaZimra, again, again, and again. Compliments. Praise, praise, praise. Hallelujah. And kids are raised with davening, in yeshiva, young age, they wonder about this. They ask this question the first time usually at age six. But you know what the answer they get. <laughs> What's the answer you got? <laughs> when they ask the question at age six, why are we doing this Every day, doesn't God get bored? Forget that I get bored. Doesn't God get bored? May I get bored. Okay, Shine. I get bored of the learning also, he says. I get bored of everything after five minutes. But what's the point of this? Okay, so there's a lot to discuss in this, but here we learn, we discover one nakudah. And that is, every day there's a battle again on the soul of reality. Can you look at the world and see the chayim of the world and see the mothers of the world? All psukkah de zimra is basically doing is teaching you, cultivating a mindset to be able to look at a flake of snow, to be able to look at a shrub, to be able to look at a frog, to be able to look at a butterfly, a worm, a bee, a mosquito, a flea, to be able to study the skin on your body to be able to study or look at anything in the physical world within yourself or without yourself and be able to align it with the true reality. In other words, to be able to see it as an expression of the divine. Psuka de Zimra teaches you the va'ata Kulam. It's a celebration of the world, but in terms of seeing the world from its pneumistic perspective. Is that needed every day? The question then is not why every day. The question is why not every minute of every day. This is the battle of life. This is the challenge of life in anything I deal with. Can I look at the core? Can I dissect the core? Can I embrace the core? Or do I fall prey to the external? All addictions, all bad habits, all proclivities, all promiscuous instincts. When it comes, let's say, to machshavas zaras that people have in work, or during the day in terms of relationships and all these things. What is it about? It's basically you're infatuated by something external, whether it's a website, whether it's alcohol, whether it's a casino, whether it's a particular image, whatever it is, everybody in their own life, and their own struggles, what are you doing? You're infatuated by something external that you think will fill the voids in your life and will give you the ultimate joy you're looking for. The problem is even you're misjudging, first of all, what you need, but you're also misjudging the reality of that because you're not looking at the Pneumius of that reality. You're divorcing the Chitzaynius from the Pneumius. So Pesuket, there's a lot to say about this, of course, but Pesuket of zimra is that daily meditation to align your reality with reality. V'ata mechayes kulam. R'ay kelbi that's what you need for the cherev, lases nekama goyim the goy inside of you, that your thoughts, your words, and your actions should be aligned with your own true life. What is your true life? That is la aves shem ha-lekecha ki hu chayecha. That is what chayim is. What is chayim? Chayim is a Chayah Chaya chayim is a lekus. In simple English, a relationship with God is not about suspension of self. A relationship with God means realization of self. Did you understand what I said, Reb Moshe? A relationship with God is not about suspension of self. It's about realization of the self. Ki hu You want to love your life. You don't want to love a shell of your life. You don't want to love an external appearance of your life you want to actually love your life. So if this is the case, then it means that Judaism is really searching for the holistic life, the holistic life, the organic life, the life in which you're in line and in touch with the truth of its reality. All this meditation basically Begins and ends with Malchus. Hashem's Malchus. What does it mean? This is defining God as the cosmic energy. This is basically the definition of God here is the battery of the world, the consciousness of the world. This is all Malchus. Is this all there is to Hashem? No, but this is Malchus. Whenever you hear the word Malchus, what does this mean? This means Hashem as. The core of existence. God as the creator and the core, the energy behind existence and within existence. As the Pesach says in Asher, Malchuscha, it's your midah of Malchus, which is the Malchus, that's kol oilam, and it pervades all the worlds. To put it in simple words, Hashem created the world because He wanted a relationship with us. A melech beloyam. A melech, you cannot be on your own. You could do a lot of things on your own. You could sit on the top of a mountain and write poetry of love. In fact, usually when you're on top of a mountain and you don't see anybody, you could be far more loving than when you see people. Some of the greatest poems about marriage and about love are by people who never had to meet a person in their life. You sit on the top of a mountain, you wax eloquent about love. The same is true many other emotions. You can experience them within yourself. There's one Mida that you cannot experience within yourself and that is marriage. You can't be married to yourself, at least not according to the present definition of marriage. I'm aware that that may change. In fact, there's merit for it changing because, after all, people are split, they have split personalities, and they're very complicated. Why not get married to yourself and get a tax discount? It makes sense. And the prospects for shalom bias will be far greater. Because it's just you with yourself. You have to negotiate between various parts of your personality. Nishke ferlich. They say the definition of chutzpah is you come to the therapist, you have a split personality and then you want a group discount. So, uh, okay. What is this? This is the concept of malchus. Malchus in Kabbalah is known as the feminine. I can't be married to myself. Why? Because the definition of marriage is that which happens to you as a result of a relationship. You can't be a leader yourself. The definition of leadership is that which is created in you as a result of the feedback that comes from the people. You can't be an author without the book that is actually read by people in that sense. Why? Because it's about what the relationship does for you. So whenever we speak about Hashem's malchus, it means how Hashem defines Himself in terms of a relationship. Meaning, God as the source of existence, as the battery of existence. As va'ata is kulam Visham alu hasagas on hashamas and, and that's where all the hasagas of all the and malachim reach. When souls and angels perceive God, what are they perceiving? Malchus. We say this in the morning and davening. Here he does another shtick called You remember this piece? Tzbarich lo netzach. of kulam mm-hmm. Right. Umah shaprima maforimu maritzum umagdishum umamrechem what's the next words shema khela melecha gadol tahinu prinesu midas malchus sheine elo binashem you hear his is vadaykus only the name we say maritzum agdishum amlitsed the name no it's only the name only the name only shema khe sheine elo binashem it's only a name i ask you a question Is your name you? The name that people have in the world, is that them? Is that them? It's two separate worlds. There's the name that he has, and there's who he is. One of the greatest tragedies of reading about heroes who changed the world is how much their children hated them. Albert Einstein. Right? Karl Marx. In the world, they're like, wow! Theater Herzl of the Jewish world. The estrangement of their children is very sad. The name has nothing to do with reality. The name has to do with resume. It has to do with marketing. The name is your reputation. What name do you have? Even f- practically, what is a name? A name is here for me to be able to define you. You don't use a name for yourself. The name that you have is not about you. It's how you're experienced by others. What type of name does this person have? The way people see him. What Hashem has also a name. What's the name of Hashem? The name of Hashem is the way he's perceived. How? Through life. Through living. Through the organism. That the That's what Malachim get. That's what Neshamas get. Malchus call He himself... Is meraimam? It's aloof. It's moved. It's mesnase. It's exalted. But the malchus is the shame. For some who dvekas ha nefesh ha maskeles umizbeinenes b'sharsha belakim chayim pchinos malchus is barach. In the name of Hashem, that's where the nefesh becomes davuk. Which nefesh? Ha maskeles umizbeinenes. Remember, by him, he always postulates emotions are based on das. All emotions are based on perception that precedes emotion. The nefesh ha the nefesh that meditates, the nefesh that thinks. What does it think about? It thinks about Reimimus kale. thinks about Malchus, it thinks about its own shoyrish Kim chayim. It knows God from itself, from recognizing Hashem as its shoyrish. malchusa as we say every morning, Baruch Shein, P'chinesh malchus, say, L'aylam What's his point? You understand? What does the vahafta come from? Baruch Shein. When you understand the shame, the name of Malchusai, automatically vahafta. You know why? Because everybody loves life. What's there to love? If there is love in the world, it is to God. That's one of his chidushim and avos How do you love God? Don't. Do you love anything? If you love anything, you are loving God. Love towards anything is love to God. Why? Because the reality of reality is <speaking in> Hashabatim <Hebrew> Khayaskuru. So Boruk Shame Mal the Once you recognize the shame, that's for your hafta. This is Chitsainius Haleif. It's pretty plimius dick, but relative to Sa'iv Bez, this is Chitsainius Haleif.